Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's open up in our Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. That's Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. Well, providentially enough, this was actually uh, the corresponding passage in Matthew. was Judah's Bible story last night. And what we have learned from finding the discipleship time is that it rarely goes well. And so we're always trying to find these ways to keep a three-year-old Engage And it is very, very challenging. And so the thing that I made up on the spot last night, and I don't even know if it worked very well, but was every time he heard the word authority, he would get to say, God is the boss. And we'd read through the passage, and every time it said authority, he would get to say that. And so I would pause for a moment, and he would yell, God is the boss. We, Shh, Simon is sleeping. Don't yell too loud. And we'd do that. And so as we make our way through this passage, as I was thinking about that, that is the reality of what I want you to take away this morning. As we look about authority, as Jesus' authority is questioned, as he is teaching these scribes and Pharisees who, who believe that they've become the boss, who believe that their way is right, and that they align with God, is what he's teaching them is that, no, God is the boss. God holds the authority. We live in a culture that doesn't know what to do with authority. Authority is seen as being intrinsically evil, and something that has to be overthrown, or at at, at worst or at best, it's authoritarian and autocratic. It's something that we have to really rule with fear. And both of those extremes are just not what we see in the person and the man, Jesus Christ, that he wields and, and deals with authority in different ways. And so what I want us to see is what true authority really looks like. Because authority is not just something that exists, but it's something that is necessary and it's something that's inherently good. In God's word, world, when we see authority being exercised the right way. And so we're going to see just two things. I know you heard that right. Just two, not three things in today's sermon, but two, two things about God's authority. And one is that, is that true authority comes from God. The other thing that we're going to see in this passage is that true authority is contested. God's true authority in this world is constantly contested. And what I want us to, to take a moment and to reflect on and and dive into this passage, it's, it's so easy, I think, to look at 
scribes and Pharisees and think, those are the bad guys, and I'm on the good guys team, and I'm certainly not like the bad guys. But what we need to see is we probably look a lot more like scribes and Pharisees than we look like Jesus. And as they contest his authority in this passage, the reality is, is authority in my life, the authority of God is often contested. I want to have my way and not his way. That's my challenge to you this morning. So with that, let's read from Mark 11, verses 27 through 33. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and scribes and elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven... Or from man, answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What we want to see is the first half of this passage, verses 27 through 30, that true authority is from God. I want us to look in there and see that that is where Jesus starts. So as to set the scene of what's happening, you can remember Jesus has been going out to Bethany each day and then returning to the temple. So at nighttime, he'll go and stay in Bethany, but each day he would walk back into Jerusalem and return to the temple. And what has happened right before this passage Jesus has caused quite a disturbance in the temple. He has disrupted this kind of false worship that is happening as they are making it more about economy, more about what they can gain in commerce, and less about the true heart of God, a place where all people from all nations can come and and dwell with God and commune with God. And they're holding the Gentiles back from God in this court that was just for the Gentiles. And Jesus is coming and he's teaching, remember from Isaiah and Jeremiah, saying Don't you know that my house is a house of prayer for all nations so that all people might come and worship me, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so he's teaching this really explicit thing, and they come to him, and they're asking, and I believe when it's talking about these things, they're probably about talking about the thing that just happened. When he's knocking over tables, disrupting things, John tells us he brings out a whip and gets the livestock out of there. They're like, hey, but what authority do you have to go messing up everything around here? Who gives you the right to come in and do this? And these group of people, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, that's actually a a group of those three groups made up what's called the Sanhedrin. And that Sanhedrin was a Jewish religious authority in the time. And they would kind of be the go-between between the Jewish people and the Roman government. And the Roman government, because they don't really care what Jews are doing religiously, just kind of gave the Sanhedrin the right to do whatever they wanted, particularly in religious matters and in the temple. But then Rome would always make sure that they had their way. And so here's these people who are used to having all of the authority. And so they're coming into the place of authority in this context. It's the place of Jewish religious authority. That's the temple. And the people of authority are coming together. And it's probably a delegation that's been sent out to Jesus to go and figure out what is this guy doing that he thinks that he can go and just start knocking over tables. What has given you the authority to do that? And Jesus looks at them, 
And he says, I'll ask you one question, and you answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he seems like he throws a random curveball, and it seems like he's maybe even being kind of evasive when he asks them a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Well, here's what's really interesting about that, is I think we want to look, and it can at first glance kind of look like Jesus is kind of like a politician, you know, when he gets asked about, you know, the thing that he doesn't want to talk about, the part of his record that's no good, and he gives kind of that political answer that we're always really frustrated with. Like, just answer the question. He's just kind of dodging the question. But I want to say is this is a normal way for teachers of the law to interact with each other. For them to ask him a question and Jesus responding with a question is a very normal kind of way for them to dialogue. And Jesus is not just trying to evade the question. But Jesus is really clearly answering their question. Because he appeals to John the Baptist's baptism. We read in Mark chapter 1 what that looked like, right? That John was coming and he was baptizing with water and the name of repentance. We read through that a little bit. And Jesus is asking, was John's baptism from heaven or from man? You see, John was the cousin of Jesus. We know this from other gospels. And his, because Jesus' mother, Mary, her cousin Elizabeth was pre- pregnant by a miracle. Her well, she was unable to have children, and her and husband were able to miraculously conceive. And John was the one prepared to make straight the path for the Savior. In Mark 7, or yes, sorry, in Matthew 17, 13, we're told that, Jesus, uh, that John was the Elijah figure that was coming to, to prepare this way, that he is the prophet that God was going to send forth, and he was fulfilling these prophecies from Isaiah and Malachi and these places in the Bible, and and he's making straight the path for the Messiah. John was baptizing as a sign of repentance with water, but preparing the way for the one that he said would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was going to change and refine, and that's what he was doing. And Jesus is pointing and saying, do you recognize who this guy is? That he's the one who's come to make straight the path. And was his baptism from heaven or from man? And then even to just kind of like pile it on a little bit, we look at the baptism of Jesus himself. Jesus has John the Baptist baptize him. And here's what happens in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And we read it. But it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now listen what happens. And he came up out of the water, and immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now these guys aren't just some random people asking Jesus, Hey, where does your authority come from? As if they don't know what's happened in the life of Jesus. Okay, Jesus is not doing these miracles in some kind of back alley corner where no one else knows that they're happening. This moment is something that a lot of Jewish people would know. And the people, that we know from other gospels, that scribes, Pharisees, people from the Sanhedrin were going out to John's baptism and asking these similar kinds of questions. These experts are not ignorant to the fact that there was a guy baptized in the river, and the heavens torn apart, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
When Jesus asked, is that baptism from heaven, it would be like me asking, you know, Kendall, Kendall, do you like Britney's baking? And he'd be like, I don't know, is Brutus an OSU fan? Like, if you know that Brutus is the mascot for the Ohio State football team, you know he's a fan. You don't have to be like, oh, I guess you're right, Kendall. Like, you wouldn't say that. You would just say, yeah, he must really like Britney's Bundt cake. So when Jesus is asked this question, where does your authority come from? From heaven, meaning from God, or from man, or are you just doing this on your own? And Jesus says, hey, where was John's baptism from? You know, the one where when I was baptized, the heavens split apart, the Spirit of God descended on me like a dove, and I don't know, this voice from heaven in front of everybody said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Like, where's that from? This isn't a trick question. This isn't hard to answer. Where does the authority of Jesus come from? And yet, these teachers of the law have to get together and they don't see what is so incredibly obvious. They miss it. They miss this thing that is so obvious that the authority of Jesus comes directly from the authority of the Father. See, they miss this authority because the reality is is to recognize God's true authority. You've got to be humble. You've got to recognize that you're not in charge. You've got to be like Judah and say, God is the boss. Because if you don't start there, you'll miss even the things that are really, really obvious. Things like the heavens being torn apart. You'll miss it and you won't see it. And that's where they're at. They don't see that John was this Elijah figure the promised one who's making straight the path for the Messiah. And they've got the Messiah right in front of them doing these amazing things. And they're like, who gave you the authority to come in here? And they're missing it. It's totally obvious. But I think what's so interesting as we look at that, and I want to say is this, is we can miss the obvious things as well because we're not submitting to the authority of God. They're missing the things that are so obvious and right in front of them because if you refuse to submit to God's authority, you won't be able to see his authority. See, that's what we have to apply and live from this text is we must submit to God's authority. We have to say, God is the boss. He's the one who rules my life. And we have to do that in every situation. See, the reality is, is even us, even me as a Christian, if I'm honest, I'm usually totally fine with God's authority as long as it lines up with what I already want to do. Right? I'm totally, God's will is great so long it's, you know, in line with mine. The problem comes when the Lord starts calling us to do things that we don't want to do, that make us uncomfortable that feel difficult, that confront us in our own sin and the idolatry of our hearts. But God is saying, I'm the one who's in authority. You either submit to me or you won't. And if you fail to submit to me, you'll even miss the things that are most obvious, the things that are right in front of them. You see, what's so interesting about this question is the effect it has on this Sanhedrin and all these people. See, Jesus asked this question, where does John's baptism come from? And what he starts to do is he starts to open up and reveal their functioning authority. Right? And here's what I'm trying to say. It's so interesting. 
is, is they ask him, where does your authority come from, heaven or from man? And what we see happening in the rest of the passage is when Jesus asks this question, they're getting together and the conversation they're having starts to reveal where their authority is actually found. They don't think, what's, what is right? What has God said? And we're going to answer this question according to what has God said. What do they start to do with this passage? Well, if we say this, what are the people going to say? And what happens is they start to reveal their functioning authority. So I want to kind of tell a tale of two authorities that happened in our lives and, and in their life, and it's getting ready to play out here in Mark. And that is true authority and what's our functional authority. And I want to say that these two things are always coexisting, because here's the reality. Just because you don't recognize God's authority doesn't mean he's lost it, right? Just because you don't acknowledge God or who he is or you don't live according to his ways or what's right doesn't mean that somehow God on his throne in heaven was like, oh, I missed it, right? Like his authority is still supreme and reigning and we are called to submit our will and function as if he is actually the authority of our, of our lives. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to bring out this thing where I'm trying to say your functional authority, the thing that you actually live with, what commands your words, your deeds, your actions, what actually changes Monday, that's your functioning authority. Now here's the thing is if you walked up to a group of the Sanhedrin and said, who's your authority? What do you think they would say? Well, God's my authority. Do you really think you'd walk up to the Sanhedrin and they say, we serve man. Man's our authority. They would never say that. With their lips, they would look and they would say, our authority comes from the scriptures. Our authority comes from God. That's where our authority comes from. But yet, when push comes to shove, and Jesus asked this question, what I'm getting ready to read here is we see that they follow a different authority. They don't just say what God has revealed is what is true, and we're going to say it regardless of the consequence. We're going to say it regardless of how other people respond, because that's what's true, and that's what's right. God is the true authority. They don't do that. Instead, what happens in Mark 11, 31 through 33, it says this, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But what shall we say? From man? They were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This ruling class of Jewish leaders ends up answering this incredibly weak, weak answer. We don't know. Because they don't want to face the disdain of the people, and they don't want to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. And because they have a false idol of their selves, and their own power, their own status, and the fear of the people functionally ruling their hearts, their actions do not glorify God. Instead of worshiping Jesus, following him as the religious leaders and leading their people the way that God would want them to lead their people, exercising authority in the way that God would want them to exercise authority, to be like John the Baptist and say, I will decrease so that Jesus may increase. They don't do that at all. Because the functioning authority of their life, even though they would say with their lips, the true authority of my life is the Old Testament, the true authority of my life is God, the functioning authority of their life is man. And the fear of man and the prestige that men would give them, their money, their commerce, it ruled their hearts. 
And therefore, they give a weak, non-answer to a straightforward, non-trick question of where did the baptism of John come from? They couldn't see it. And they they didn't even have the spine to stick to their own answer. They didn't have the bravery to say, Jesus, we don't think you're the Messiah. They're cowardly. Because their functioning authority is a lie. It doesn't hold any basis in reality. So when push comes to shove, they drop back and punt. They don't exercise the authority that God has called them to exercise to. They're not leading the way that God would have us lead. They're not brave. They don't have the courage to stick up for what is right, stand for the Lord. They're cowardly. And they're shameful. They look to the God of the universe and they say, we don't know. So God, Jesus, he leaves them in that place. He leads them in that reality. Now here is the truth. So again, we can look at this and say, wow, the Sanhedrin, glad I'm not like those guys. The truth is, is I'm so much like these guys. I'm consistently cowardly. I don't do what's right. I don't stick to my guns. I'm, I'm afraid of people too. I'm afraid if I say what God would have me say and I fear the, the uprising of the people around me, so I give cowardly political non-answers. So saying what is right and true. I am like them and you are as well. See, even as Christians, even as believers... We know with our minds what the true authority is. But so awesome, so often, we do not function and obey according to that true authority. We allow something else to creep in, sit on the throne of our heart, and it becomes a functional authority in our lives. See, what I, the reason why I use that term, functional authority, is because you can't function without some kind of authority, even if it's yourself. Everybody has to worship, admire, look up to something just to make it through the day, to make moral decisions, to make any kind of decision, to, to do what's right or even to do what's wrong. We, have to, we are recognizing something, even if we're being really passive about it and just letting something come in and steer us. Those functional authorities will steer us away from God and the things of God, and they'll move us into places of passivity, and and we won't be doing what God has called us to do. We'll become cowardly. We'll become shy. We'll become ring back of of doing what God has, has called us to do and to be. See, the reality is, is I bet you're a lot like me, and that when you read passages like Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, you resonate with the Apostle Paul. This fight with authority and what we recognize happens so frequently in our lives. Paul says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For my delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." 
I've been talking about two authorities. Paul's talking about the same kind of thing, but he's just calling it two laws. The law of God and the law of sin. And it's fighting within him. And it's what he knows here what's right. I delight in my inner being to do the things of God. But oh, the members of my body, I just, I'm struggling. I'm failing again and I'm captured away and taken away. And he gets to this point where he just cries out then in verse 24 and says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, Paul is recognizing the reality that I'm sure you're recognizing. Right now as you sit in your seat and you think about your week in your life and you think about, I know what's right in my mind to do, but man, so often I fail to do the thing that God would have me do. So we're recognizing that that's a reality of life, that that's a part of what it means to be a Christian, that we are a sanctified sinner, an already not yet kind of project that God is working on and progressively changing. But I want to say this as well, is Paul doesn't leave us at verse 25. He doesn't just say, and that's the way it is. Man, I really, really wish I could obey. I really, really wish that I could grow. I really, really wish that I could change. I really wish that these same sins wouldn't just keep coming in. But he doesn't leave you there. I'm going to skip through a couple of verses because it's really the entirety of chapter 8 that we get through. But I'm just going to grab a couple because I want you to see that he is not done and neither is God with you. If you're struggling with who, that true authority versus your functional authority, keep struggling. Because you can be victorious in that fight. Because in verse 3 in chapter 8, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross means that you have the ability to obey today. You are not trapped under functional authority. You can be freed to serve God's true authority in your life. Everything that we need is completed in Christ. When he cried out on that cross, it is finished, he meant it. The war with flesh has been defeated in Jesus. And while it still rages in our members, we do have the ability to obey. Skipping down to verse 10, still chapter 8. He said, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Your mortal body is enslaved to sin, but the old you is dead and the new you has come. And he says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it's a rhetorical question. It's another question that's not a trick question. Of course it's in you. When you gave your life to Jesus and you were justified by faith, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus comes to baptize not with water, but baptized by the Holy Spirit. That spirit you have been baptized into, immersed into the moment of your salvation. It's not a second event. It happens the moment you put your faith in Christ and you are unified with him. You're made one with Christ. And because of that, you are a part of his body and therefore you have the ability to overcome sin in your life. Yes, it takes time, it's progressive, and it's over the course of a lifetime. And yeah, you'll be fighting and struggling with sin to the day Jesus calls you home. But what's so amazing about this, and what I want to say, what will give us hope, resurrection hope, is that true authority has its way. The authority of God isn't weak. He has authority over sin and death, and he exercised it when he rose again from the dead. And that same power is in you. You can win in this fight. There is no sin that cannot be defeated in Christ. We can live and grow, but only if we're unlike the Sanhedrin and we submit to God's authority. Because what's so amazing about it is, is it's not, this is not a sermon calling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or try harder. It's a sermon that's saying, recognize that God's in control, that he's the boss of your life. And when you do that, he empowers you to fight against sin and actually win. It doesn't happen in split moments for most of us, but over the course of a lifetime. You can do what they could never do. So you can see the truth of God and obey, even though you still struggle. You don't struggle in vain. We need to practice what it looks like to align that functional authority with God's true authority. A constant life of repentance and turning away from sin and saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, you have all the true authority and you can rule and reign in my life now. I want to submit to you. And as you do that, you are going to help this members, this, the members of this broken mortal body that is dead to sin but made alive in Christ and resurrected with you. And I can live. I can have victory. I can have growth. I'm not doomed to feel this way or to be this way or to fear these things forever. But in the power of Christ, I can grow and change. Because the reality is this, is the true authority of Jesus will have the final word. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is an expression that Jesus Christ is the authority. When Jesus raises from the dead in Matthew 28, he says this about authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he looks to us and he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for so many of us, our understanding of mission stops there. Convert them and ditch them. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus' understanding of authority was go, 
make disciples, baptize them in the name, and follow them with the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth, and he looks at his followers, and he says, I am empowering you, and I am giving you the authority to go out to see people, one, to my name's sake, baptized in my name in the triune God, and to see these people grow over time to look more like him. To observe all that he has commanded us. See, his authority does not end. It keeps going and going and going and spreading throughout all the world. So much so, and we often forget this, that Jesus says that in the middle of Palestine. (laughs) And we sit here in Ohio thousands of years later. His authority has moved over oceans so that we can come and worship God. The plan worked, and it continues to work. See, where is my functional authority out of sync with God's true authority? How can I understand that he has commanded me to take part in this and then I want to follow and do this as well? We get to praise Jesus that we even have this kind of authority given to us, entrusted to us, and that we have his true authority to rely on when we get it wrong, when we start to function and get out of place. 